Welcome to the Doctrine Matters Podcast, where we seek to equip the church to understand and live out its faith. I'm your host, Stephen Dew. I'm the preaching pastor at South Caraway Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. We want to thank you for joining us today, and let's get right to today's episode. That's right. Glory to God alone. That is my daughter, Caroline Willow-Dew, and she is kicking us off here, as she does with every episode of the Dr. Matters podcast, with her little Solidale Gloria, which she recorded when she was, I think, four years old, maybe three, going into four. Either way, she's the cutest thing I've ever seen. Today's episode is going to be one that I have put off for a while. I actually tried to do one one night and go over the topics that I'm going to talk about, and it things just didn't work out. So I thought because it didn't work out that I might need to take a few more days, maybe a few more weeks, and just see how things play out, see what happens. And if you know already, obviously, you've seen the title of this podcast, and I'm going to be talking about the Southern Baptist Convention that happened in Nashville. Now, listen, I know that you are probably tired at this point of hearing about the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, I just want to bring my take of the Southern Baptist Convention as a person who was on the floor both days there in Nashville, Tennessee. So I just want to talk about this from my perspective and ultimately just tell you how I walked in and how I left the convention. Now, let me just say this before we get into any of the content today that I realize and I know that there are many brothers that have differing opinions from what I'm going to put out there on this episode today. I know that there are people that are going to strongly disagree with me that are listening to this episode, and that's okay. We need to be able to disagree in love, but we also need to respect one another's opinions and where they land on the Southern Baptist Convention as a whole, what they think about it, what they want to do moving forward. I think we have to respect one another's opinions, although we don't have to agree, because there are many that are going to say, I agree with you, Stephen, and there's going to be many that are going to say, I disagree with you. And this is just my thoughts from a pastor who was on the floor at the Southern Baptist Convention both days, uh, about three weeks ago now, I guess. And uh, just kind of let you know what I saw, the things I heard, uh, where my frustration may lie on a few things. But overall, um, it was a it was an interesting experience, to say the least. I will tell you this. This was my very first ever Baptist convention to go to. I didn't really know what to expect, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm not really well-versed in parliamentary speak. I'm not well-versed in how uh, those rules and the things are governed and all those things. I know many Baptist churches have the Roberts Rules of Orders and, and parliamentary things and different things like that, and that's that's okay if that's how your church operates. Our church happens to operate a bit differently as a plurality of elders. We don't have to go through all of those things at business meetings. Anyway, that's just how kind of we work, so we don't we're not really well-versed in Robert's Rules of Orders and how all of those things work with amendments and resolutions and uh, point of orders and uh, out of orders and all of those things. So uh, I was really in, I was really excited to get on the floor and just kind of see how all of this takes place. And I'll tell you this, watching it from the internet or watching it online, wherever, on your TV, however people could stream the Southern Baptist Convention as I have before, it is much different than being there in person. Now, 
I made a last-minute decision to go to Nashville. I live about four hours away. Uh, I used to live just outside of Nashville, so I'm familiar with the area, know how to get there. It's a pretty easy trip for me, although it's four hours. And uh, I made the decision at 7.30 Monday night in my kitchen making supper, and my wife said, you need to go. You should have made plans to go already. You need to be there. You need to vote. You need to do all those things that uh, is going to take place there on the floor of the convention. So I left out about 8.30 that night. I rolled up into Nashville at 1 o'clock a.m., checked into the hotel, got a few hours of sleep, and then made my way over to the convention hall at the Music City Center for day one of the Southern Baptist Convention. And obviously, again, didn't know really what to expect. So my thoughts going in to the Southern Baptist Convention was that it overall was a dumpster fire. Now, when I say dumpster fire, there were there were some issues on the table going into this when that comes to that comes down to critical race theory and intersectionality, um, complementarianism versus egalitarianism, women preachers, all of those things, uh, just a lot of things on the table. And I, I was really excited, but didn't know what to expect. So we get there, and, and this this convention opens up with a time of singing. And then basically somebody comes onto the floor and says, hey, instead of doing this, can we have a moment of prayer for unity that everybody would leave unified when we leave here tomorrow? And I thought that was great. Let's pray for unity. Let's pray for for God to be glorified. Let's pray for all of those things. And I can tell you it was a beautiful time of prayer. But immediately when you get into the business, now if you've ever been into a Baptist business meeting, just think about being at a Baptist business meeting with 16,000 people. It's hot, it's packed, and you are there to do business for two whole days. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about if you've ever been in a Baptist business meeting. Some of those things can get rough. Some of those things feel like a hostage situation, and some of them are just plain crazy, and sometimes they are good. Hopefully, uh, most of your interactions with your Baptist business meetings have been good. I have seen them turn nasty. So with all of those things in mind, here we go. We've started the prayer of unity, and then the business comes down. And the, one of the first things out of the gate was uh, a call to rescind Resolution 9, which if you don't know what Resolution 9 is, it has to do with critical race theory and intersectionality. And, and simply, critical race theory and intersectionality, in my opinion, is a godless worldview that is full of of worldly things that fly in the face of the Word of God. And we have passed this resolution in 2019 to to where we will use them, quote-unquote, as analytical tools in our churches. However, this false gospel, this false way of viewing the world is doing more damage and has done more damage to the gospel. It's done more damage for the glory of God and the cause of Christ and more damage to the body of Christ than it has done lifting it up and encouraging it and restoring it. It's driven a wedge because critical race theory and intersectionality essentially says that if you're white, you have all sorts of markers that would identify you as a racist and even a white supremacist. And there are so many things that go into that. Uh, There's so many ins and outs of critical race theory and intersectionality. So I'm not going to unpack those here. You can go check out many men have done a lot of greater work than I'm doing that have covered critical race theory and intersectionality. Matter of fact, Vody Balkum, several other guys, uh, Jeff Durbin, the Founders guys, Jared Longshore and Tom Askell, they've done a great job unpacking critical race theory and intersectionality. However, uh, it was called to rescind. 
that and to get rid of it out of the Baptist life, out of the convention overall. Uh, that was taken, and then uh, we were going to come back later on, and that was going to come back up. And when it did come back up, Tom Askell is the one that made the motion or uh, the amendment or the resolution or whatever it's called. Again, I'm still not well-versed in this parliamentary speak. So uh, he called for it to be rescinded, and when it came time for that to come back up, they said that he was out of order. Now, they, they, they had a lawyer come up there and say, basically, you'd have to take away uh, years of resolutions because resolutions are just uh, opinions of the messengers that come. Uh, there was a lot of disagreement on the floor. Uh, Tom Askell disagreed. I disagreed. I, I think that they were doing a lot of talking around the issue. They didn't want to hit it head on. And that's something that I saw a lot while I was there over the past two days. Anytime that they were met with a challenging question or a challenging amendment or a challenging resolution, there wasn't much time to deal with the issue and to talk through it. There was a lot of filibustering. There was a lot of things going on on the stage. Uh, they cut people off. They they didn't get to certain people, and time was short. I think if we could extend time, we could find time from other areas so to speak. There was a lot of things that were happening that we could have reduced that time to spend more time on the business. However, a lot of that happened as I saw with my own two eyes and heard with my ears the things on the floor that day is just a lot of things that were serious, that were needing to be discussed, that needed to come out on the floor, that needed a heavy debate, got shut down pretty quickly. And there was not much time, and, and it was always out of time, and uh, we, we never really got to see much happen. Uh, so Tom Askell was told that he was out of order for bringing that up. There was a lot of disagreement, so uh, they, would, they put forth this resolution, too, which, which did a lot of uh, theological work in it. Well, I say a lot. There was a little theological work, and, and then there was this, this apology for um, the way that we have been racist and things like that. And there was some back and forth between that, how we need to call it critical race theory. It's just kind of lightly packaged as critical race theory, but not really calling it critical race theory, if you catch my drift. So a guy stood up at a microphone and he said, hey, let's call a skunk a skunk. This is critical race theory uh, packaged in this pretty little box, and, and we're giving it as some sort of resolution and we're supposed to take it for what it is but not really call it critical race theory so he said let's just call a skunk a skunk and james Merritt, uh, one of the the chairman of the resolutions committee he slammed his hand down on the on the podium and he said let's find out where we are let's find out who we are and i heard this the world is watching i can't tell you how many times i heard the world is watching. And he ultimately went on this rant, and he said if people cared more about the gospel than they do CRT, which is critical race theory, then this world would be better off. Well, ultimately, here's my issue with critical race, is that it weakens the gospel, it softens the gospel, and in many cases, it's moving the gospel outside of churches and being replaced. So this is a gospel issue for many people, and I would say all people that are against critical race theory and intersectionality. 
This is a gospel issue at its core. And James Merritt was simply saying that those of you that are more concerned about critical race theory and getting it out of our convention, you should be more concerned about the gospel. Well, I guess he hasn't been well informed, but we do take the gospel seriously, and we believe it is a godless worldview that should not have ever made its way into the convention. It should have never made its way into a resolution. There was so much that happened in 2019 in a short amount of time, and it's just kind of sticking with the the convention as a whole right now. We have kind of adopted critical race theory and intersectionality without calling it critical race theory and intersectionality. You can go look at Ed Litton's uh, interview on CNN that will really tell you that he was so confused and, and he, he was kind of stammering over his words, which we can talk about Ed Litton here in just a few minutes. Uh, but uh, critical race theory was not rescinded resolution nine was not rescinded and we got a, a, a more of a lightly packaged crt and intersectionality resolution that came out and was affirmed and passed so that was kind of disheartening to that we didn't even get to spend time debating or discussing critical race theory and anybody that did want to discuss it was seen as kind of the outskirts uh, like we were trying to be the bad guys. They called us grassroots movement of the conservative wing of the Southern Baptist Convention. There were a lot of things going on around that, and you were you were essentially seen as a bad guy by all of the people nearly on stage, all of the leaders there, uh, and many people in the congregation, 16,000, would look at you as like, come on, get over it. You're, you're one of the bad guys now because you don't like critical race theory and intersectionality. Apparently, you don't like racial reconciliation. And the thing we would say is we do want racial reconciliation, but we want it to be because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is changing hearts, changing lives, and seeing that sin be repented of in a biblical way, not in a godless worldview Way So that was one of the things that was kind of disheartening from the beginning. And then we kind of moved into that afternoon voting for president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, there's been a lot of controversy surrounding one of the candidates, which was Mike Stone and, and Russell Moore, who was leaving the ERLC, let a six-page letter, quote-unquote, leak, and he was kind of throwing, sh- throwing, throwing shade or throwing stone at Mike Stone in that letter, basically saying he covered up sexual immorality. He covered up sexual, um, uh, what is the word, misconduct. He covered up sexual abuse. That's what I'm looking for. And that was really a smear campaign, in my opinion, by Russell Moore. Now, again, you and I may agree to disagree here, but uh, I, I don't think Russell Moore has done anything for the conservative Baptist churches in the convention. It is clear that Russell Moore is liberal. He leaned left, and that was very disheartening. But I can tell you from my personal conviction and the things I have seen and the lack of things that I've seen from Russell Moore, I just didn't care for Russell Moore and his stance. And it's kind of shown me that it's kind of affirming my stance on him when he let this letter, quote-unquote, leak, and he was basically smearing Mike Stone's name about covering up sexual abuse and not doing anything about it, knowing about it, not not treating it, not doing anything, not uh, doing anything to help the uh, the ones that are victims of sexual abuse. It's a whole big story. You can go read that on your own. You can Google Russell Moore leaked letter. I'm sure it'll pop up number one on your Google search. And then apparently 
That Monday evening before the convention started, Mike Stone was on the floor of the convention, and apparently this victim of sexual abuse approached him, and she went on a smear campaign on social media saying that he was rude, disrespectful, and mean to her, and uh, continued just to deny allegations and cover up and all these things. It's a big old mess. I can tell you that right now. And uh, unfortunately, in a day where everybody videos everything, none of this was caught on camera, so we have to take the person's word for it. So there was a big smear campaign, in my opinion, against Mike Stone. And Mike Stone, Ed Litton, Al Mohler, and Randy Adams were the four that were up for president of the SBC. It came down to Mike Stone getting the most votes, followed by Ed Litton, which went to a runoff. And then 300 and some odd votes separated the two in the runoff, and Ed Litton became the Southern Baptist Convention president. Now, some interesting things about Ed Litton, and if, you are, if you've are, if you been in the news, if you've been keeping up with all of this after the convention, you know that his name is everywhere right now in, uh, in areas of the church, whether you're in the Baptist convention or outside of the Baptist convention. You may be, in, uh, you may be a Presbyterian and know about Ed Litton and the, the sermon gate, the things that are going on now. But before that, he was challenged. Actually, I would say Al Mohler was challenged during the uh, seminary updates from the floor from someone that said that uh, asked what they teach about the Trinity there, and they asked why they told why they were asking this is because Ed Litton's church's doctrinal statement on the Trinity was showing partialism, and uh, that that the Trinity that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were three parts of. Uh, the Trinity, and he was challenged on that from the floor, and 20 minutes to 45 minutes later, Ed Litton's church's website changed its doctrinal statement on the Trinity to show a biblical view of the Trinity. Now, I don't know about you, but if your church changes its doctrinal statement of faith, then it normally has to go through some sort of meeting. If you have elders, we would have to sit down as elders to discuss what we're changing, why we're changing it, and then spend some time really digging in the Word to make sure what we're changing it to is going to be the closest to the Bible that we can get. This changed almost immediately. And this, of course, was after he was voted in as president. So that was a little concerning as well. And um, not only that, Ed Litton had claimed to be a complementarian, and yet he's had his wife preach on stage with him, and she even, and I quote, opens the sermon saying, this is our last sermon in this series. So she was there with him on stage with the Bible, helping him preach to both men and women in his congregation. So for me, that was another red flag. So that was two red flags for Ed Litton. And then Ed Litton is also a big pusher of critical race theory and intersectionality. You have to see his workings on racial reconciliation, and and he utilizes these quote-unquote analytical tools to do just that. So that was another red flag I had with Ed Litton. I will be honest and tell you that I did not vote for Ed Litton. I voted for Mike Stone both in the primary and the runoff. I believe it was conservative against left-leaning. I don't want to say liberal, but I I would say moderate. However, the SBC elites, the leaders, will tell you that there are no moderates in the leadership. There is no moderate president, and those three red flags alone have helped me 
stand firm in my position that I do believe Ed Litton is a moderate. Now, there are people in our church that would say uh, maybe he's not a moderate. He is a conservative. He's a good guy. We need to pray for him. And yes, I would say we need to pray for him. But now those three red flags have just really gone away, and this one giant red flag has been planted. If you've been keeping up with Ed Litton and his sermon gate, basically preaching J.D. Greer's sermons, Every day there's another video coming out where he's using his material, he's using his jokes, he's using his uh, stories to preach and, and just read through those notes. And it's, it's really saddening to see, especially when you have pastors that are doing the work of putting together sermons from the Word of God week in, week out, many staying up late every night, many working hard during the week, many looking for commentaries and different things that they really can't afford, but they're getting them anyway to help them understand the Word of God to be able to rightly divide it to their people on Sunday mornings. Now they're looking at this Southern Baptist Convention president and years of plagiarism. That is the charge. Now for me, I've listened to the videos and and I will I will give you this. There are some questionable websites that are posting some of this. Reformation Charlotte being one of those, pulpit and pen being another. Those are some questionable sites. Those are some sometimes shady sites, and I don't mind saying that. Uh, those guys, some of them are very uh, much in sin at times, but these things are hard to deny, and it's not only these two uh, people putting these this content out. You can find it on multiple platforms. Several different people are piecing these sermons together, and they're almost word for word. It's almost like... Ed Litton has been a talking head or a parrot. He's just regurgitating what J.D. Greer has already said. Now, there's nothing wrong with looking back and listening to and gleaning from what somebody has already preached, but when you do it almost word for word, that's an issue. Now, I know there's many brothers that would say they don't believe that's plagiarism. They, they don't believe that he's done anything wrong, and, and, and again, we can agree to disagree. We can respect one another, but I firmly believe that Ed Litton should step down from the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. The elders at his church need to start an investigation, and they need to hold him accountable for not doing what God has called him to do or allegedly not doing what God has called him to do or seemingly not doing what God has called him to do because what he has done or what seems to have happened is very frustrating. And again, I'm a pastor. I spend time trying to rightly divide the Word of God, and on top of that, making sure that when it gets out into my people from the pulpit, that everybody in the room can understand what God is saying in His Word. So not only do we put in the tough work of understanding what God is saying, we then have to know our church people. We have to know our congregation. We have to be able to rightly divide it and teach it and let them understand, let the, let the hearers understand in a way that they can comprehend and walk away both challenged and encouraged by understanding, but being challenged maybe about going deeper into the Word and then being challenged with their, uh, in their life from the Word. So I firmly believe that Ed Litton should resign from this, and I don't. I, there is a, a wonderful man of God that is the vice president that could step right up and and take over this position, starting today. But 
Ed Litton has been quiet other than a couple of interviews, a statement, and maybe one interview I've heard so far. He says he's basically using J.D. Greer's manuscript as a commentary. However, when you start preaching the same thing, same jokes, same stories to make your points, then that's a problem. Let me get off of Ed Litton now. Those are my issues with Ed Litton. Those are four big issues I have with him as Southern Baptist president. So we, let's see, what else happened there? Oh my goodness, the LGBTQ language. There was very soft talk. Now, there wasn't a lot of LGBTQ language mentioned. We didn't talk a lot about the LGBTQ community, which if you've been keeping up with other denominations, kind of this inclusive track has been happening in other denominations. And this is kind of the door, in my opinion now. I think the door is starting to be cracked for inclusion for the LGBTQ community to be able to say, as a gay Christian man or a a gay Christian woman, and I think the Southern Baptist Convention, if we are not careful, we'll see that door swing open wide, and those are things we're going to hear people say in Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches, all across this continent, all across America. So we need to kind of put this, nip this in the bud before it swings wide open like everything else has, but we've got so many other issues in our convention right now. Let's talk about the abortion issue Man, abortion was talked softly from the from the platform. There was a resolution, and it had to do with the Hyde Amendment. You can look that up on your own time, but there was a brother that stood up at the microphone that said, I would like to add to this resolution that we call mothers who have aborted their babies to repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. Now, there wasn't a hurtful bone in this man's body. There was not a hurtful thing on this man's lips or on his tongue, but it was seen as hostile from the woman on the stage. And she has proved her point since then in an article she wrote, and I'll try to link that in the show notes if you want to read that. It's uh, Dana Hall McCain is who she was. And basically, women that have aborted their babies, in her opinion, they are victims. The women are victims. Where we would say from a biblical standpoint, abortion is murder, and the women have murdered their babies. They should be held accountable. They should be called to loving, lovingly, let me add lovingly, because apparently we have to do this these days, but they should lovingly be called to repentance and faith in Christ Jesus and told they are in sin for murdering their child, going against what the Word of God says. So uh, there was a lot of soft language, and then there was a, a strong resolution to abolish abortion that came uh, to the committee, and it didn't even make it out of the committee onto the floor. It took uh, uh, um, Bill Askell standing up and saying that they submitted this resolution. They were concerned that it didn't come out onto the floor for a debate or a vote, and they tried to hold on, this committee tried to hold on that they had a strong um, argument for abortion with the Hyde Amendment and all of these things like that. But uh, they weren't having it. These guys, they came prepared. They came with a resolution. And it has since been trashed by Dana Hall McCain. Uh, again, I will link that article that she is basically just slamming anybody that voted for it. But it didn't even make it into out of the resolutions committee so you had to get two-thirds of the people there to vote to bring it out for a debate and then ultimately voted on so 
They ultimately called this to a vote. Two-thirds of the people in the room said, bring this thing out for debate. Let's talk about it. And it was scheduled for debate. It became... Uh, it became live at around 3, 3.30 on the second day of the convention. It, it was debated for about 30 minutes. There was a lot of for, a lot of against, and a lot of back and forth, a lot of frustrating moments during that. And ultimately, the, uh, the amendment to abolish abortion or the resolution to abolish abortion passed, but barely and not without a lot of pushback and not without a lot of controversy. It's frustrating to me that there were so many Baptists there in the congregation that would push back on a, on, on a resolution to completely abolish abortion. There was talk about we don't want to incrementally uh, deal with abortion. We want to abolish it completely starting now. We want to do whatever it takes to abolish it completely. And there was a lot of conversation about that, a lot of talk about that. But hey, as Southern Baptists, what kind of statement are we making now that we are for the total abolition of abortion? We are against it. It is murder. And we want to lovingly call the women that have it to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And sadly, there was a lot of back and forth and a lot of people sitting around me that were just, ugh, you know, doing that. Like, you know, anybody that anybody that would speak for it at a microphone, you could just see them getting visibly upset and hear their groans and their reactions like, please just, you know, just shut up. This is a bad resolution. And those people didn't vote on it. And there was a lot of animosity even in the clusters of people you were sitting around at times. It was just tension in the air that was so thick. So uh, those are kind of some, some things that uh, that I saw and heard that just really... Uh, that I didn't, I didn't like. I, I, I hated to hear it. I hated to see it. And then another thing, and I'll, I'll make this brief, is Ronnie Floyd stood up for an hour to uh, talk about his 2025 vision or whatever it is to where uh, essentially they want 500 people to uh, be called out into overseas missions. They want 5,000 more Southern Baptist churches planted. They want to see more baptisms between the ages of 12 and 17, um, and a couple of other things that were on there. And I can tell you as a pastor that reads the Word, that studies the Word, I was kind of frustrated at this. And he told us, he said, I want you to pray right now for 500 people to be called out to go overseas missions. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to pray just the opposite. And this doesn't make me super spiritual. This doesn't make me better than you. And, and again, this is something that we have. I've seen people love this thing, and I've seen people not really care for it as, as I have. Uh, but I started praying that 500 people would do what God's already called them to do and to start making disciples right outside their doors, inside their churches, in their cities, and then let God call them where he wants them. Not that we would just up and say, hey, let's pray for 500 people to say, let me go overseas, be funded by uh, the North American Mission Board, and we'll live a life of preaching Jesus. That's great. I'm glad that people can be funded that way. But I think we need to look at what the Bible says, and let's start praying that people would start taking their calling as a Christian seriously and start stepping up and proclaiming the gospel right where they are, and then let God call them where he wants them, whether that be in their backyard or overseas somewhere. The next thing was that 5,000 Southern Baptist churches would be planted over the next several years, and he said, pray that that would happen. And, and I just started praying to God that, uh, I pray, God, that 5,000 biblical churches would be planted over the next few years. I think we get so so uh, 
we, we make this Southern Baptist name an idol sometimes. And I know that it's probably coming from a good heart, but at the same time, we need to be praying for 5,000 biblical churches to be planted when we see all of the churches that are unbiblical and the things that they're doing. We need biblical churches to be planted week in and week out, year in and year out. So I pray that God would plant biblical churches all across this land. And then he prayed, asked us to pray for baptisms to go up in Young, young kids, ages 12 to 17. And I just said, I'm not going to pray for baptisms to go up because I've been a part of cheap grace, easy believism. Just slip your hand up. You can be saved and then you get baptized. And that's a number that goes to the Southern Baptist Convention. And then when they come back in the year 2025, you say, well, uh, 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 baptisms are up, you know, 150% is because all of these churches have gone back and they've manipulated people into being saved or repeating a prayer, which is never in the scripture for us to do. And then you get all these numbers on a tally mark somewhere in an office, and then they get to boast about how many baptisms there are. So instead of praying for baptisms to increase in that age group, I pray that salvations, true conversions would take place, not only in that age group, but of all ages, of all people. And I, I pray that God would save people, and then they would be obedient to follow up that salvation in believers' baptism. So I think we put more emphasis on the baptism and less on the salvation and the conversion. Many times it's like a, uh, if, you ever, if you've ever been to a, a, a cow sale or cattle auction, man, they're running those cows through, they're running those bulls through, uh, they'll have horses, they'll have pigs, they'll have goats, any kind of livestock you want, they're going to run them through, and they're going to run them through, run them through, run them through, run them through, run them through. That's essentially, in my opinion, how the Southern Baptist Convention is viewing salvation. Run them through, but make sure they get baptized because that's what we want to count. That's what we want to boast about. We need to be boasting in what God is doing in the changing of hearts and the people's lives and seeing true conversions by pastors that are leading biblical churches that are teaching sound doctrine and true soteriology. Uh, We need to see salvations and the baptisms should come as they follow it up in believer's baptism. And I don't remember the other two things that he had us pray for, but I know that I prayed the opposite because it was just, it was not as biblical as I thought it should be. Again, these are just my opinions. These are just what I saw. So leaving Nashville, I walked out of there just shaking my head. I walked in shaking my head with almost a little encouragement about my my myself and, and and not myself but the convention that it would come around and we would see this thing get on a conservative track uh, back towards the bible and that's another thing is right after the presidential nomination or presidential candidate was announced that it was Ed Litton shortly after the New York Times posted uh, the Baptist Southern Baptist Convention holds off in conservative insurgents or something like that. And, and I thought, wow, this is the watching world that our elite leaders wanted. This is the headline they wanted. Even Ed Stetzer had posted recently, the Southern Baptist Convention came to a fork in a road. Instead of taking a right, it took a left. And that's kind of a, if you ask me, it's a play on words um, that we didn't go back conservative, that we're starting to lean moderate and we're starting to have this liberal drift. And a lot of people will say it's not there. I choose to believe that it is. 
and it's disheartening. And, and you may think and you may say something like, well, those founders guys have gotten your head or uh, those reform folk or those conservative, those ultra conservatives have gotten your head. No, uh, the Bible has gotten in my head. It's gotten into my heart. And that's what I want to operate by. Those are my convictions. And that is the convictions I held to and I hold to now as I've seen and heard what has happened at the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm lining it up with the word of God. And that's where my convictions are. That's how I formulate my opinions. Again, not saying yours are wrong, not saying mine are right, but that's where I'm at right now in my life and in my walk with the Lord is I believe that the Southern Baptist Convention is on a liberal drift and the door is going to open wide if we don't do something about it. And I'm afraid that it may be too little too late. I think many Baptist churches are going to pull out of the Southern Baptist Convention. If they don't pull out, I've heard many churches talking about not giving to the cooperative program, which is going to drive that money straight down, which is going to do all sorts of things. It's going to cause all kinds of problems for missionaries, for churches, for people. Um, A lot of things that I'm afraid are going to go badly, but here's one thing that I do know. I believe in a sovereign God. I believe that he has given us the ability to lead our local churches according to the Bible. I believe that the Baptist Convention does not own our autonomous churches, which is a great thing. We are free to lead and do as we please in the Southern Baptist Convention. And instead of saying a a world is watching what South Caraway Baptist Church does, we are more concerned about God watching, and we're going to operate within that param- those parameters and not what the Southern Baptist Convention leaders would say. There's a watching world to see what we do here. We want to say there is a God who's watching. We want to please him, not man. We want to see God do what he wants with his church, and God will do what he wants to with this convention. So many churches will leave, many will stay and fight, many will continue on with this liberal drift and and never bat an eye, but next year, I think, is going to be an interesting year to say the least. This year just started for Ed Litton and it's already starting off bad. Uh, This year has not proved to be very good so far, three, three and a half weeks out from the Southern Baptist Convention. You've got Ed Litton with Sermon Gate. You've got a lot of Baptist leaders that are, they won't come out and speak against it. They're almost condoning his behavior. They're almost condoning this. It's a strange time right now in the Southern Baptist Convention, but these are just some of my thoughts. I know we're, we're coming up on 38 minutes right now. And I, I probably rambled a lot, but there was a lot that happened. I probably missed some things. I know that I've missed some sexual abuse things that were brought out onto the floor and in, in the the executive committee being investigated and all those things. That's um, there's a lot of back and forth there. A lot of social media interaction that has happened over that situation. It's 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 proved to be. Uh, not a very good situation in and of itself. Uh, I see people that claim to be Christians acting like the total opposite. So a lot of things going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. So what can we do? Number one, we trust the sovereign God of this universe. He knows what he's doing. He is in control of all things. He is in control of his church. So we trust him. Secondly, we pray for Ed Litton. We pray for the leaders of the Baptist Convention. We pray for the Southern Baptist Convention. We pray for the churches within that Southern Baptist Convention, and we pray that they will do what the Lord calls them to do, 
whether to leave, whether to stop funding, or whether to continue funding and stay in and, and, and do as they've been doing. We pray for churches, we pray for leaders, and we pray that God will be glorified in all things. And then you just live by your personal convictions. And if your church, maybe you find your church, you disagree with your leadership on this, sit down and talk with them. Don't just leave. Don't just be frustrated. Don't talk behind their back. Sit down and talk with your leadership about what you think about the convention overall and listen to them and everything, in all things, open the word of God. Always take your thoughts, opinions, convictions back to the word. Never your feelings, never your thoughts, never your emotions. Get those out of the way. Open up a Bible. Find common ground. Move forward for the glory of God, the exaltation of Christ, and the building up of one another. That is what we need most, the glory of God, the exaltation of Christ, and to build one another up. I would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and wind this down as we're approaching over 40 minutes now. Leave your thoughts on the Southern Baptist Convention, whether you agree or disagree with me. I, I'm always willing to hear your side, and, and I'd love for you to sharpen me, as hopefully I've sharpened you in some areas, and we can encourage one another. I don't want to be one-sided and think I have it right, because let me tell you, I may be totally wrong here. This is just, again, my convictions, my opinions, and these are just mine. I do not speak for anyone else but myself. Uh, so I would love to have a conversation with you. I'd love to uh, talk with you about it. And hey, maybe if you wanted to uh, come on the show, we can figure out a way to do that as well. And we can talk about our differences, the things we agree on, whatever. Shoot me an email, doctormatterspodcast at gmail.com. Leave me a comment on Facebook. Leave me a comment on YouTube. Whatever you see this on, drop me a line. I'd love to hear your thoughts about the convention overall. I'd love to hear your differing opinions. I'd love to hear where you agree with me. Uh, but ultimately, I hope that we can all do one thing, give God glory in all things. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, y'all have a good day, good night, good week, and wherever you may find yourself, God bless.